0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Am I Embarrassing You podcast. I'm your host, Zoe Wexler, here with my mom, Dr. Amy. Hello. And today we are so happy to be joined by Rebecca Sofer. She is the co-founder of Modern Loss, a global movement offering creative, meaningful, and practical content and community addressing the long arc of grief. She is the co-author of the book, Modern Loss, Candid Conversations About Grief, Beginner's Welcome, and an internationally recognized speaker on loss and resilience. Today, we are thrilled to talk about her new book, The Modern Loss Handbook, an interactive guide to moving through grief and building your resilience.
1: Welcome, thank you for coming. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this literally all day. Like this is like the highlight of my day. (laughs) The news cycle is pretty terrifying. And I'm like, oh, I I get to talk to Zoe and Dr. Amy tonight. (laughs) So it's going to be okay. (laughs) Thank you. I was, you
2: know, before I read your new handbook, I was delaying a little bit because I thought, I don't know that I want to read a whole book about grief. Like It's going to be so sad. And it brought up, brought up losses in my life. And then once I got over the hump, I was so glad because I really enjoyed it. And I don't, <laughs> it's, it's excellent. It's outstanding. And I was talking to my psychiatrist about it and she said, "Oh, let me know because she's thinking about writing a book from a psychoanalytic kind of perspective about grief and loss and Obviously it's a hot topic because of the, this horrible pandemic we've been living through and over a million Americans dying. But um, I mean, obviously your work is so salient right now because of that, but death is part of life. And so it's great to talk about and try to break down the stigmas. I was wondering how long after your parents died did you decide to write Modern Loss?
1: Well, so my mom died when I was 30. And I was actually, this was not like what I wanted to do in life and what I even thought I wanted to do in life, and what I even thought could be done in life. So just to be clear, this was not like what I grew up thinking I'd be doing. I grew up thinking I'd be like, you know, a really established, thoughtful TV producer for CBS Sunday morning and like go on the road looking for the best American pie and like wax poetic about it. Um, and then I went to journalism school, Columbia, and from there I went to the Colbert Report, where I was a producer. So while I was working in daily television at the Colbert Report, my mom was killed in a car accident. And I um, had recently turned 30 and very quickly realized how insanely hard it is to live with loss while you're also very much building up your life. Um, and by the way, like the 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 addendum is I think living with loss is hard at any age. I just knew sure. my age, which was thirty, and I felt like I was so much in build mode. like I was working really hard. I was going out with my friends. I was a single Manhattan, you know <laughs> woman. Right. And um, I w- wanted to acquire all the the, the things and the stages in life. And then all of a sudden I was faced with the loss of so much, which was, you know, my mom and my mom was my best friend in the world. And she was this enormously bright, empathic, cheerful, encouraging light in the world. And to have that snuffed out from, from literally one second to the next and unexpectedly and and violently, because it was mm-hmm. a car accident was so it really sent me reeling and i just realized how lonely it is to grieve when you're also surrounded by so many people who are like also in build mode and also rushing through their day mm-hmm. and trying to date and get a mortgage and all this stuff you know it not just by the nature of how busy they are but also because They probably, most of them don't have a lot of firsthand experience with profound loss yet, hopefully. And also because our society does a really crappy job of giving us the language to talk about it in ways that aren't like super creepy and depressing. So modern loss really came out of that sense of solitude and that sense of really wanting there to be something out there about grief and not just like the first year, but like the long arc of it all that wasn't anchored in like clinical talk or religious speak, or just like really lame platitudes. And so my mom died in 2006 and Modern Loss was launched, the, the online publication in 2013. Got it. Well, something
0: that I love about your new book is that it covers everything. Like when I was reading it, I didn't know what to expect. And it covers everything from creating a ritual to your physical and mental well-being and your wellness and like to day-to-day life and friendships and social dynamics. And like, it covers every aspect of your life. That you wouldn't necessarily associate grief with. But of course, when you're grieving, it comes into every single aspect of your life. Like it just kind of appears there. And so I just love that it's not like a one-sided thing. Like this is how you deal with it, period. Like this book is colorful. It has illustrations, it's funny, it curses. Like I was laughing out loud yeah. and I just love <laughs> so, that. And so, can't, can't help yeah.
1: the potty mouth, you know? I and- loved it, I absolutely <laughs> it. It's
0: so real it's like, this is a human being. And I just love that. Yeah. So when I was reading it, I was super surprised all the time. So what was, one thing that surprised you when you were writing this new book?
1: I think, well, first of all, thank you. Those are such nice things to hear. And oh, it's sure. really terrifying to write a book alone in your room, like during a COVID winter, which is what I did last winter, wow. you yeah. know, of 2020, 2021, mm-hmm. uh, when you're surrounded by like news of death and sickness and like a terrifying election. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're just like trying to have this tunnel vision and focus on trying to share what you have learned about loss. Um, And also what like your community has learned. Um, So I appreciate that it's resonated with you. And um, I think that the thing that I learned the most while I was writing it was I actually had an idea of what I wanted the book to look like and that's how I sold it and there was a proposal and this idea has already been in my mind for years. Um, I wanted to write it even before the pandemic, but you know, just it didn't happen. And while I was writing it, all this other stuff started coming out, like all these other ideas and all these, you know, these other directions. And I kind of started freaking out a little bit because when you sell a book, you're supposed to deliver the book that you said you deliver. Mm-hmm. Um, and I called a good friend who's, who's a very established writer and a very funny person, and he totally understands modern loss and why I do this and the ethos and. He just said, like, back, just like, let the book be the book, like, just like, let it come out. Like, y- you may think you know what it is, but like, it knows what it is. And so, once I kind of uh, gave myself permission to just like, kind of fly my flag, like, whatever was coming out of my fingers, um, I felt a lot. I don't know. It just like felt really good because it felt like um, I was really writing without any scruples or any embarrassment or any, you know, like, I think we're so self-conscious when we create things, we're so nervous as to like how other people are gonna perceive them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like when I had this conversation of like, you really just, you cannot try and control this. Like it, it's already, it, it kind of exists. It just has to come out of you. Um, that felt really nice because it was already In the throes of a period where it was being proven to us time and again that we don't have a lot of control Mm -hmm. over our day-to-day over the world over what's going on um and it just kind of removed like whatever scruples that i had while i was writing like it removed whatever self-consciousness i have had in other projects and it just let me feel like you know i'm just going to say what i'm just say because i'm lucky enough to be writing a book that at least like a publisher once and I think it'll resonate with at least one person,
2: <laughs> me. You know, you know, you did. It resonated with both of us. So you already had two. Yeah. So it yeah. started off, how how much did it change or how did it change over the course of your writing it?
1: You know, I think I just kept adding a lot of sections that I wasn't, you know, there were just, there were sections that did not even exist in my book proposal that while I was writing, I remember it was like even, it was like a day before my my manuscript deadline and I'd had a year to write. And I added like an extra two thousand words on some tangent that I like. All of a sudden, realized I felt very strongly about, and I was like, "Oh, like who cares?" Like, what was that? Just... What was the tangent? Um, oh, it was um, the arigato meiwato. So, um, it was like this Japanese term that, and oh my gosh, I'm gonna. I did learn how to pronounce it correctly, and I learned it very well for the audiobook. But it's a term for. I think it was in the friendship section. There's a whole section on navigating uh, social dynamics and negotiating them and intimate relationships in in loss because it's something we really don't talk about that much. Like the fact that we do kind of lose friends in grief Um, and it's not really about us. It's about like why society, how society does a bad job or what they can't handle or whatever. Um, And so I I learned this term, a Japanese term for, when somebody does something for you that's like seemingly nice and it's like supposedly for you but it but then like if you don't appreciate it in like an appropriate way to the person then they get really annoyed with you Mm -hmm. and like it turns out that like the nice thing was actually like for them because like they Um, wanted to do it to feel good about themselves and I was like that reminded me of so many different experiences in my my early grief when like I was made to feel very guilty, Mm -hmm. not by very good friends, but like by some people who have, you know, oh, like I did this for you. Like, oh, I invited you to dinner. And like, maybe I didn't want to go because I was feeling really sad, but then, you know, I got a big guilt trip for like, well, we, I really thought I was just going to be here for you. But like, they, it, it all of a sudden was kind of like about them. Yeah, and that's um,
0: not someone you ever need to have in your life. Goodbye.
1: No, you don't like, don't ever do that to someone or like, Hey, like I've, you know, like I've, I've, I've helped plan this memorial for you and I need you to proof all of these cards by tomorrow. And if you don't, then like, they're not going to be printed, even though you didn't ask for them. Um, and so like, I feel like <laughs> you're when you're grieving you know, like everything is so overwhelming. So when people put things on you, it's just like they shouldn't because you can't handle it. Um, and so I just learned that term, that Japanese term. And I was like, oh my God, I finally have a term to describe this whole experience. And so I added that section um, and it was just a delight to write. <laughs> oh,
2: great, I love it, yeah. I love that. I-, I love the sections, the 10 people you meet in Hill. <laughs> oh, love. yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> So that is actually um, very. I would say like I don't know five percent of the book. I, that was I think I took two pieces from the Modern Lost website that had been published because they were just so incredibly good. And I asked the contributors if I could include them in the book because they could. I could not say them better than these women did. And this woman Erin Donovan wrote that piece, the ten people you meet in hell. Mm-hmm. And oh my God, did she get it right or did she get it right?
2: I thought it was excellent. And also the real and imagined bullshit you might hear. Oh, yes. <laughs> Can you tell us more yeah. about that?
1: <laughs> yes. So the real and imagined bullshit you might hear, that is also in the friendship and social dynamic section. Mm-hmm. And that is a whole section that I wrote based on personal experience and the experiences of so many people in the modern loss community Who, that I've learned from over the last eight and a half years of, um, you know, there's so many times, not just in like early grief, but like, as we move through our loss, when we'll be in conversation with someone and someone will say something to us and we'll be so stunned by what came out of their mouth that we'll either be like deer in the headlights or we'll burst into tears, which like, Hey, hi me mostly. Um, or we'll just, you know, say something that, Maybe we wish we hadn't. we'll Bumble or whatever, and then later on we'll be like, God, I really wish that I would have said this, you know. And so, an example, I think I have that section open. Let's open is, our um, like, like we're in school. Oh, let, I <laughs> let's love it. open. I love going page. to the text. I have to say,
0: the way that the cover Seven, eight, the book feels is so soft. It's so tactile, isn't it?
1: So, oh my God, so soft. I literally oh, yes. sit and I kind of like. It's so soft. It feels like. I don't want to say suede because I think it's it soothing. Like, I think it's soothing. It's very soothing. And so when I got it and I held it, I was I was very soothed, and I was like, "This is exactly the way that this book needs to feel. Like it needs to feel literally soft, um, and also hard. And it's a hard cover, and yeah, that's like yeah. kind of a nice metaphor, you know, for this whole experience. Like loss is hard as hard as shit, you know, like it really is." but there is a humanity to the experience because it is one of the most natural human experiences that you can have. And so the reason that the book is like colorful and illustrated and in bright yellow and all that, and like, there's, you know, obscenities and whatever is because you're still a human person, even though you're living with loss or you're grieving, you're still you, you still have a right to like Read something that makes you smile. Sometimes makes you feel warm. Makes you feel like whatever you're reading, even if it's about really hard things, isn't gonna bite you. And that's why the book is like this, it's very purposely in like a very friendly, conversational, sometimes tough, lovey, you know, tone. Yeah. Yeah. So which page, teacher? So
2: oh
1: oh gosh. Well, let's see. Page. <laughs> it's like very dark in my room. Um. Page one seventy nine. Oh, here, okay. I have one,
0: look at this. Oh, we folded Ah! (laughs) that.
1: Look at that. It's (laughs) like we're in, it's almost like we're all Jewesses on a podcast (laughs) talking. (laughs) Okay, so this section is called Real and Imagine Bullshit You Might Hear. And I started by saying some may seem extreme, but these are all comments that have been made to members of the modern loss community, including myself. And then I I go into the, you know, like I basically challenge people to write what they think their response would be if someone said something like this to them. Because this stuff is said in various iterations, you know? And I want people to feel like they've thought it through. And so if they are ever in an encounter like this, they feel like they might actually have a response that rings true to how they actually wanna respond, as opposed to like deer in the headlights. And so just here's just one. Um, I appreciate my mom so much more now. And this has been said nice to me in the chest, literally, literally multiple times, like not kidding, not joking, Rebecca. Oh, like, I, I just, y- you were so close with your mom and I know how much you miss her. And I just, God, I, my mom is like my best friend. And I feel like I appreciate her so much more. And by the way, I am so happy that this person appreciates their mom. Like I want mom, I am a mom. I want moms to be appreciated, but I don't exactly know how the through line of like, I know that you're shattered and I'd like to share how much I appreciate my my very much alive mother is gonna comfort me. That's Um, insane. insane. (laughs) Yeah. So I put that as an example. And then I said, what I really want to say, oh, wow, I'm so thrilled that my excruciating violent loss of a person who will never meet my children and who was one of the two people on earth who loved me unconditionally served as a helpful growth opportunity for you. (laughs) Thanks (laughs) Thanks for completely bypassing my pain and turning my loss into a catalyst for your gratitude. See you in hell. XO (laughs) and like, obviously I do not have the ovaries of steel to say that to someone, but what I will probably say and I put this, I'm happy that you and your mom that you have your mom in your life and that you have a great relationship. But when you say that it's kind of hurtful and emphasizes my loss, I'm sure you didn't mean for this to land the wrong way and that it came from a good place. So I'm sharing this not to make you feel bad, but so that you don't repeat this to someone later. In the same way, you probably wouldn't tell an alcoholic how grateful you are that you have no long-term issues from regularly pounding, pounding gold, <laughs> Goldschlager in under. So like that, you know? So like, that's just like an example. And then I give all these other prompts and I ask people to think about you know like not every prompt is going to resonate with every single person reading this book in that moment it might later which is why I encourage people to keep coming back to the book but here's an example I honestly wouldn't survive what you're going through and I ask people to think what (gasps) you really want to say and what you might consider saying well people say that Zoe welcome to the hard hard the harsh harsh world you know it's like fathom
0: like you think a thought you think this thought, and you think I should say it out
1: loud, right? And then, like, the, yeah, like the brain—the brain doesn't stop the mouth, no, right? No. The and mouth then you they, you know, some other examples. I hear that's the worst way to die. Oh um, my god, ha, has been said, has been said. Well, that they're in a better know, place, and God needed them. Yeah, always pisses me off. That's sort I mean, I, I, I would love to meet the one person who was comforted by that even a person of faith I seriously doubt that in in early excruciating days of grief that even many people of faith are are solely wholly comforted by they're in a better place I think they still would rather have their person with them that's what I'd wager what and so the, you know some other at least you, like, already um, have, you
2: have other healthy children or you have a healthy child yes,
1: what the yes f- That just you know they're I think we all know people who have had miscarriages, stillbirths, you know, infant loss and like people say this because they don't know what else to say. It doesn't make them awful people, it just makes them grief illiterate because we are a grief illiterate society and we have to get better at it and that's what I'm trying to help people do, oh, get better at speaking up for themselves so that then they can educate the people who need to be educated. And then those people can do the next people a favor who are gonna go through it because everybody's gonna go through it. And so, yeah, like this is just, a, you know, obviously the book is like heavily written. So it's not just like a journal but um there are all these interactive set sections because like, oh, here's another one. um. Uh, Oh, this is another one because relationships are very complicated. Yes. But didn't you not have a great relationship with them? So that's like one that really gets me because I think a lot of people, you know, oh, like, oh, I heard such and such a dad died. Oh, but they weren't really close. You know, it's like, first of all, you don't actually know what you're talking about because only the person who lost the person knows that dynamic, what that dynamic was like. And also, even if you weren't really close, that could be extraordinarily painful because there could be a lot of what ifs and if ifs. onlys and, yeah. and like, oh, we'll never resolve these things. Yeah. Um, and so it just takes like shutting up for a minute before you say something and thinking to what end am I saying this, you know? It's
2: all about like, you're trying to, to teach people's self-reflection,
1: which is yeah. an Im-
2: incredible skill to have. And it can be learned to a certain degree, right? Empathy, self-reflection, pausing, having it. Not, I do believe not
1: having, that. Yeah, I, I, I truly believe that empathy can be learned. I truly believe it. I think that a lot of people um, out there, and I've heard them say this, like, oh, like, I think I'm not very empathic. Um, I, you know, I feel like I want to be, but I, I I don't really know how to support someone. I feel like I'm just not, You know, I'm sympathetic, but I'm not really empathic. And there are all these tricks that you can do to really like kind of build your empathy, you know, and, and the easiest one is just, you know, if let's say you're having lunch with a friend and their partner died in for any reason, and they're grieving, you know, you don't know what it's like to have a dead partner. You don't know what it's like to maybe have a dead partner and a little kid as well and not know what life is going to look like, but you do know what it feels like to have had something happen to you that made you feel very scared and vulnerable and small and uncertain about your future and how you were going to like figure things out. Everybody has had those things happen to them. Maybe it's not death loss related. Maybe it's you lost a job. Maybe it's you had an awful breakup you know, or a divorce or a friendship breakup, some, an awful accident that you didn't know if you were going to recover from. Everybody has had something like that happen to them. So think about what the moments felt like when you were at your most vulnerable in those moments. And then just try and imagine that that's what that person is feeling right now. And that really does enable someone to kind of meet them at their level when they can imagine that. That's when you really are imagining yourself in someone else's shoes. I
0: like when you say that because... At first my reaction to that as well, like it might make someone try to compare their griefs, but it really isn't like, it's about just trying to see, understand even just a little bit of what this person is thinking if, or how they're feeling and just trying to be there for them in the best way that you can without making it about you. And I feel like a lot of the handbook, which I love is you experiencing and other people in the modern loss community, experiencing people making your loss about them. Yeah. And so just genuinely, like your book also is very unjudgmental, which I like, um, because yeah. <laughs> like, let's just get that, let's be interactive, let's write down some stuff, let's see it on the page. And I think even reading this book, like I'm not grieving currently, but now having have now having this pant book just in my house, like you can refer to it and you have a place to go if you're like, oh my God, my friend lost someone suddenly, what do I do? Like, it just tells you very, un, you know, not judgmentally, what to do, what they might be feeling, what to expect. I really like that. It doesn't make you feel guilty for not knowing.
1: Right. I mean, because you shouldn't, it's by the way, it's, it's not your fault for not knowing right? because thank goodness you don't know. I don't want you to know what grief feels like. Um, I do think that all of us knows what grief, all of us know what grief feels like because of the pandemic and everything it's taken from us. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but that's, you know, those are other types of griefs. But they're all valid. But yes, I mean, I I wrote this book very, very focused on the fact that it's called a handbook. It's not called a how-to because I'm not going to tell you how to do things. You need to do grief and you need to live with your loss in a way that resonates with you. And I very specifically say not every section of this book, not every page is going to, you know, fit with what you, you need. And maybe it will in the future. Maybe it won't. But this is a book full of things that I have learned, um, you know, that have helped me to figure out how to stay connected to my people, stay connected to myself and stay connected to the world around me. Because when I have figured out how to do those three things, that's what's really enabled me to get get to a point where I feel like I'm building that post-traumatic growth Mm -hmm. and figuring out how to kind of create some meaning in the aftermath of this mess. That yeah. has happened in my life, sure. um, and so pick and choose. Like try something. If it doesn't work, try something else. If that works, great. Maybe see if you can build on it with this other thing. You know, and then it also gives you ideas to share with other people. You know, it's just. Um, I think it's very helpful, <laughs> but then again, I wrote it, so <laughs> there you go. You did also.
2: Um, what I one of the things I mean, I read the whole thing that I really liked was. You're giving stress buster, you know. Thinking about it from a psych, I'm a psych- also a psychiatrist, right? From a psychiatrist standpoint, yeah. like you have some really good stress busting techniques. And my book came out 15 years ago, which is about the you know connection between the mind and the body, where I also talk about like getting outside, looking at green and stuff. So there, there's must be more research, you know, the last 15 years talking about that. But those kind of stress relieving activities are good. Yeah you can generalize it right during any time of stress or grief.
1: Yes. Oh yeah, sure. I mean like this book, you could basically take this book and use it to help yourself. Even if you have not had a profound loss in your life. I, I actually really believe that because you still have to figure out ways to stay connected to yourself and stay connected to the world around mm-hmm. you when you're going through a hard times. Yeah. Um, But the whole section about there's a whole chapter called the mind body continuum. And I think the, uh, subtitle is you can fool everybody but yourself. Right. And when we're grieving and when we're in those, like, you know, not even just when I say grieving, like, I'm not just talking about the first month or the first year. I mean, I really had a hard few years after my mom died. And then after my dad died, it was really hard going. And year two for me was harder than year one after my mom's death, because that's when everything felt so permanent, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, I kind of ran myself into the ground and then learned the hard way. Like you can fool everybody. You can assure everybody that you're fine. You've got this. You don't need to sleep. You don't need to rest. You don't need to do anything. But eventually the body, as the book says, that the other book <laughs> keeps the score, right? Yeah. And your body is going to tell you, hey, you've got to pay attention to me because I'm holding grief in your back or your sh- um, shoulders or your, your sleepless nights and you need to pay attention to me or else I'm not gonna go anywhere. I'm probably gonna grow into other places. And so I do include a lot of um, really wonderful modalities that I have learned and also have learned through these wonderful practitioners that I work with at Modern Loss. We do, we have a paid subscriber community that we offer monthly virtual sessions to like yoga for grief support and mindfulness sessions. And they're just so amazing. And so I have a whole yoga for grief support flow in there. I have a whole mindfulness um, flow that our practitioner, uh, created for, for our readers. Um, and then there's all this stuff like craniosacral therapy, which I had never even heard of a few years ago, but now I, I'm like such an adherent. It's helped me so much. Um, and then yes, like you were saying, like the nature-based therapy, you know, like what they call forest bathing, which definitely sounds very like elegant and tick laden, but it's really just like, right. <laughs> like related. getting out and right. Yeah. Like, it's like, Oh, it sounds like one's very, romantic and like, also like you are going to get Lyme disease, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) but like, it's really just like getting out and exposing yourself to nature. Uh, and that can be anywhere. It can be in New York. I'm looking out of my apartment right now. And I see like, three trees like that's called green gazing it's really we're so focused on our screens and on these artificial settings um, because of our work schedules every day and when we're grieving like it's very you really need to let your brain breathe sometimes and relax and you know studies have proven that even just looking at a house plant for a little bit can lower really? anxiety yeah. and blood pressure yeah and, cortisol, and so there are just we it. Ex- we've talked about exactly the- and
0: We've talked about this in relation to the pandemic a ton over the course of our podcast. And even like right in the beginning of the pandemic, mom was doing a lot of um, interviews and that kind of thing about like, what can we do in our homes? Like we have to look out the window. You have to, you should sit in front of the window and, you know, look out at the world. Get outside and get some fresh air. And so I think a lot of this book and what you're talking about applies to everybody recovering from the pandemic because it is like this long recovery. Keeps like it is. still not over, it,
1: it does. Oh my god, I mean, yes, and that's like last summer when everybody was talking about like hot back summer in 2021. <laughs> Loved it, and I was sitting there and I was like, Well, I want a hot back summer too, but like, I mean. Look at how many people have died and look how much trauma there is out there Mm -hmm. and look how much illness and long COVID, which people don't really understand how bad it can be. Um, Look how many lives have changed from one second to the next and how many roles we've taken on and how many roles we've lost and how many coping mechanisms we've lost and how we've lost the ability to like have funerals and in-person rituals, like weddings, like all of that stuff takes a toll on us uh, incrementally. And separately. And I was looking around wondering how people could possibly think they were going to go back to normal life when all of this had went down. And of course they didn't, you know, like we were slammed with Delta right after that. And then we went along and then we were slammed with Omicron and now we're in like BA two or whatever. It's like, I think that we need to understand that we're really at the tip of the iceberg of a grief pandemic that is going to be much longer than the viral pandemic, because there has been so much loss, not just death loss. So many of us are struggling with mental health right now. We're still living in a country that's kind of messed up, you know, like, let's be honest, like, I don't know that I can ever look at my New York Times app again without like, kind of closing one eye because I'm scared to see it fully, you know? I was having a conversation with a friend of mine um, a couple of weeks ago about like, who's gonna write the article about how reading the Sunday newspaper is never again going to be like a relaxing experience, you know? Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of trauma and a lot of fear and isolation and sickness. And I think that that's why we have to get so much better about uh, talking about grief because grief is so many things as we were saying beforehand. Mm-hmm. And it really is our common denominator. Like when we share stories about our struggles and about our adversities in ways that are raw and vulnerable and real, uh, open, like that is what we have left with each other to pull each other in. Yeah, I because wanna... things look bleak, you know, uh... but this is what we have. We yes. have connection points.
2: I wanted to pick up on the storytelling piece because it plays so prominently in your writings. And I have this notion though, tell me if you think I'm wrong, that in the distant past storytelling about people who died was sort of more prominent or salient or important than in modern times. Do you, do you think I'm right about that?
1: Storytelling like, like in what sense?
2: Like verbal storytelling because there oh, wasn't yeah. sort of like other ways to, Pass along information generation to generation.
1: Right, right, right. Okay. Yeah, I mean, yes, I don't know um, because I wasn't there. Um, even though I look ancient, because I feel ancient right oh, now. Oh, stop! <laughs> but, please, <You> do not. <laughs> but, um, but uh, I, but I, I do think that we've just learned how to document things differently. You know, like now we have like digital storytelling and visual storytelling through Instagram, you know, like there's so many different ways that are really creative, that people have figured out how to story tell. And that's where I kind of like, I'm a big fan of like, let's go around the campfire. Like, let's just like shoot the shit all night long and tell those stories about like when dad did this and you know, when this happened and like my husband has heard like all of my stories so many times (laughs) and he'll, he never will meet my mom. So like he has to suck it up because I'm like, oh, there was this time he's like, I've literally heard this story like 1600 times. But I'm like, well, you're never going to meet her. So you have to hear it one more time. Um, And so like, while that is my MO. um, I, I, I feel that there are other ways that people are starting to realize that they can share their narratives um, and memories of their person and their stories that, are very modern, like I know a woman who has a memorial Instagram account to her brother. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I love this account. I'm gonna literally name check it. It's called texts for John. Her brother's name is John, he died, they're young. And she, it's not a memorial, it's not like pictures of John. It's like the stupidest, funniest things that she finds around the internet. Like the dumbest effing memes that are so (laughs) funny and so clever and like i followed this account and i laughed so hard and she's like cuz i can't send them to john anymore oh. so i so i created this account because this is what i would have shared with him and That's i think awesome. it's so great because that is her storytelling about who her brother was you know yeah. like i would have shared this with him and then by extension it's really nice because um i feel like i'm a witness to her loss and her person yeah. even though I'm never going to meet her person. And there are a lot of neat examples of that out there.
2: Yeah. I, we really liked your recent Times article, Time, sorry, Time Magazine article uh, about the pandemic death. And I'm going to quote oh. you. You wrote, quote, talking about how we're feeling, how we're coping, what we miss about our person or possibly people lessens the burden of sadness. Sharing memories keeps those we've lost present in our hearts and minds and reminds us that the intensity of our grief is a sign of having loved deeply. I love yeah. that. I like that make total sense to me, but why is there such a stigma about talking about death? Like, is it just, because, you know, don't, you don't, yeah. one doesn't want to talk about it because then it can't happen to me like an avoidance thing. Like a, it's a contagious
1: thing. Ding, ding, ding. That's one of the reasons we definitely don't like thinking that you know, it can touch us. We think maybe if we don't talk about it, it's like we can control it from happening to us. Yeah. And you're the psychiatrist here. I'm not, but like, I don't understand. I mean, I think that's just like how we think we do. We're, just think about like, you know, when you read about somebody who was murdered, like there's this morbid fascination with like the story, like, yes, like Mm -hmm. people love like true crime podcasts, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. that's the the fascination of the story. But when when you're really trying to imagine what it must be like to have a child who was murdered, for example, you don't want to get too close to that. Something pulls you away. You're scared because you don't want to imagine it happening to your family, to your life. And you feel like maybe if I learn too much, then I'm exposing myself Mm -hmm. to that. I think people feel like that. Also, I feel like people just don't like to be reminded that they have a limited time on earth. You know, it's very simple. They don't like to be reminded that they're mortal. Um, They don't like to think about death. They don't like to, I don't love thinking about death. I mean, like, you know, but I, I do because I, I, I know we're going to die. Um, I don't think about it in like a morbid sense. I mm-hmm. think about it more in like a, how can I use the time that I have? You know, like that memento mori, you know, have you ever heard that Latin phrase? Yes. Um, you're, it's like a reminder, like you're going to die. Um, and that is, it sounds like a downer, but it's really meant to be a motivator. It's meant to yeah. say like, hey, Like go create, go live, go suck all the joy out of life. Like go do your thing, fly your flag, you know, Um, start the company. Like who cares? Like you're going to die. So like, just do it, you know? And so um, I think that, you know, people don't like thinking about that limited time. And then I think that another reason is really that our culture has done an absolutely abysmal job of preparing us to talk about this stuff. And so we don't like talking about it because we feel like we don't have the words. We don't have the language. We say things like I just said, which is at least you can have another baby, you know? Or like, who or, the or fuck, like, fuck says that? You know, but you, people do.
2: We're huge Hamilton fans. So we love how you ended the article with quotes from It's Quiet Uptown. That's the first time I saw Hamilton. I was in high school. Like when it first came to Broadway, we
0: were very lucky. Okay. To get these You're
1: like making me six. feel extremely old right now. Sorry. <laughs> and um,
0: <laughs> you, how about me? <laughs> yeah, she made me. It's just like seven years ago. She, and,
1: um, she she truly looks your age and it's annoying. Okay. Okay. that's kind of rude. Um, I'm, kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding.
0: She does, and it's extremely cute. um And like after that, It's Quiet Uptown hit me so hard at like, like yeah. 16. And they're like, and the lyrics in that song are so simple. It's like, can you imagine? Like, can, just can you imagine? That's like the refrain in the song that just
2: really stuck with me. And when people say to you, I can't imagine how that's so unhelpful. Right, and that is like a crazy thing to say to someone because it isolates you. I can't imagine, so you're alone with this,
1: right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, the whole like thesis statement of of that essay that I wrote for time, which was, I think it was like their lead essay in, 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 in last week's or two weeks ago, issue about hitting a million COVID deaths yes. in the country. So- yeah this article brought me no joy to write. I normally love writing. And I, I literally hated writing this piece. It was such a sad piece for me to write and to think through. And it made me really angry to think about the, all the destruction that has happened. Um, and so my lead was really, I can't imagine. And I talk about how that phrase is so, it's like a, you revert to that phrase sometimes when things seem so traumatizing and you can't imagine it happening. Like, oh, like there was a stillbirth. Oh, your mom died in an awful car accident. Like, oh my God, I can't imagine. It's like, I get it. Like, I get it. Like you don't want to imagine, right. but you can imagine. That's like right. you're you're saying you can't imagine because you're imagining it and you don't want to. So you can't imagine. It's um, like saying really no offense, to- but no offense really means right. offense. Mm. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Like, what, like with all due respect means like literally I have no respect for you. Right. right. Um, so yeah, <laughs> but um, when, when you say I can't imagine, I'm not saying this about people who really are saying, oh my God, I just, I can't imagine. And then they follow up with like, can you talk to me about it? Like they yeah. follow up with an action or a, sure. a phrase that suggests that like, okay, I get it. Like, like they can't imagine, they don't want to, but they really want to try and understand what it's like. They make it clear that they really want to ask you, they want to hear your story. I'm talking about the the mindset of, I can't imagine and like, that's it. It's yours, not mine. Right. It's yours. It's your thing. It's your grief. We're not going to share this. You figure it out. Right. You know, like you let me know when like, you know you're in the next stage or you're over it or you're whatever And um, hamilton, that really upsets me yeah like
2: i thought it was rare in hamilton that lynn manuel miranda wrote that song because it was such a private moment for alexander and eliza right but we the whole audience is privy to them grieving yeah we all get it. yeah collective grief. yeah there's not a dry eye yeah. house and
0: also i think no no what's so great about that see i'm also a little fangirling over here about I can talk about this with someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, in the show, after that um, scene, when they lose their son, they're, the Hamiltons are like visibly, physically changed for the rest of the show and like, yes. for the rest of their lives. Like they are different versions of themselves. And it's not talked about, but it's extremely obvious. I think that was a really beautiful like, depiction of grief in the show. Yeah, they, they don't stand up as yeah. tall. They
2: look older.
0: Right they're like they're a different version of themselves but it's done in this beautiful way that kind of reminds you that like the people in your life who are grieving like they are changed and you have to accept them this way
1: yeah 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 I think that it, it was a beautiful thing that he did uh Lynn if we're on that level it was and like I you know I even put this in the article that like I I mean, I love, I mean, I'm a human with a beating heart. I love Hamilton. <laughs> and whenever it comes on in my car yeah. or like if oh, I'm on a forward. bike ride and I'm like, oh, it's quiet town. town. like shit. Cause <laughs> like, I know like yes. it's such a hard Tears. song to do. Yeah. But I, and I always want to go to the next track. I always do, but I, I never do. I always listen Damn. to it. Also, I always
0: do. Never put Hamilton on shuffle. You are getting no,
1: no, extreme highs and
0: lows. No, yeah. Do it's not like, do it's, yeah. order. It's, 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 de- I de-
1: it's definitely a bipolar experience if you listen to it until <laughs> non-shuffle. Yeah, that's a, a, Have you, if,
2: how, we were just talking about kids and telling stories to kids also, like, did you start telling your kids about your parents when they were little, like really little? I know they're still little.
1: Yeah, I did. I mean, like, I don't know that they absorbed, but um, it kind of was just like more of like a meditation for me and a ritual. Um, My, you know, neither of my parents got to meet my kids and vice versa. And that's really sad. You know, it's really hard. They're never going to have grandparents from my side. And um, like, they're never going to really fully understand inherently where I came from. It's all going to be with me showing with words and pictures and everything but not like they're not gonna have a visual (laughs) example uh in in their lives of like someone i came from and so when my first son was like four months old i remember that um he was just an awful sleeper and i would just stay up all night long like rocking him and trying to get him to sleep and um i would tell him stories about my mom Mm. um and i you know, like knew that he wasn't absorbing them, but it made me feel connected to her. And it made me feel like I was connecting her to him somehow. And it also was nice because I feel like, you know, well, my mom died so suddenly that I feel like I just didn't remember so much for so long because I was just in so much shock. Um, And I was really scared that I was gonna forget a lot of details, you know? I was so wrapped up in like the trauma and those traumatic memories of the grief of it, that I was scared I was going to forget a lot of the nice stuff. And so I was really pleased to see that I didn't forget it. It just kind of was, you know, suspended for a bit. Hmm. (laughs) Um, And so I started trying to jog my memory thinking of silly stories and, and meaningful stories. And dumb stories like the first time my mom and I got high because she's like, Well, you're <laughs> gonna do it anyway, so which was amazing. And, um, and uh, and I told them all to Noah who was like in my lap. <laughs> oh know, my god, four that's amazing! Old. And so I still do that like sometimes, bedtime, I'll tell superhero stories and I'll tell stories about my parents, just like make them into characters. They don't exactly know that they're about Grandpa Ray and grandma Shelby but you know all I mean I, I do scrape the bottom of the barrel for bedtime stories so sometimes I go to like you know family memories and it's nice you know because it is it is still a solitary thing and you know I'm an only child between both of my parents and that is a lonely thing because there isn't any other witness um, you know sibling wise who can remember with me and so I have to remember and I do the best I can with those memories to share them. That's awesome.
0: You're doing a beautiful job. Mm -hmm. Does the book is any indication. It's, it's really
2: wonderful. Wonderful.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate that. And
2: and we were all over your website, just checking out all the different sections and stuff. It's so thorough. It's
0: modernloss.com. It's extremely thorough and interactive and user-friendly. It's
2: great. And you have a section about pets dying, which I thought was amazing to include yeah. that because I can't. Yeah. Every person who talks to me about one of their animals dying prefaces it with, "I know he or she was just a just always. a dog, just a cat." Like the person always feels guilty grieving about an animal when they're part of our families. Yeah.
1: Like why? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, let me tell you, Ziggy, my labradoodle, who just turned twelve, I literally brought Ziggy to my dad's shiva because. She was just like a puppy then. He died in 2010 and we got her, he died December, 2010. And we got her in like, uh, I don't know, July or something of 2010. And she was such a salve to me. She was like pure love. Like there was nothing but unfiltered love and support and, um, you know, just licking. (laughs) And I didn't even think I was a dog person. Then I really became a dog person. And when my dad died um, four years after my mom, I just was like, oh my God, like I was in such a state of like existential, you know, angst and feeling so untethered. And Ziggy was my support system, like was Aww. my support dog. And I'm like, I'm bringing her to the Shiva. So yeah, there was a, a I, I brought her and um, and I, I absolutely don't regret that. And so I know that pets aren't technically people too, but I say pets are people too, like they are our family. And also I, I wanna say this to anyone, who looks at someone else and is like god it was just a dog you literally don't know what kind of role that animal played in that person's life there are people out there who don't have any support systems and like that is their deep bond also there are people who are ill there's a uh, piece on our website about a woman who has lupus and she wrote this amazing beautiful you know um homage to her dog sal Mm -hmm. who she credited with basically keeping her alive because oh. she Sal made her get out every day and move her body when she oh. was in so much pain that she just wanted to stay in bed. And so when Sal died, that was a really big, yeah. legitimate loss. So you never know what's going on. You never know anybody's story. Don't oh. think that you know the whole thing.
2: But even if, like, let's say it's just a family pet and everyone's healthy and people have friends and other family around, Still, that animal can be so. Mean, of course, right? Like it's just absolutely. I guess it's. I always get upset when people think of animals are unimportant because I'm such an animal lover and animal advocate. Like, yeah, like, animals don't have feelings.
0: And and they we can't communicate, which is
2: obviously false. Right.
1: Yeah. No, animals are amazing, and like they're, you know, they're they're they're, they're much better than people these days.
2: So <laughs> often can be, but I thought that was yeah. cool. You put it in.
1: I got home
0: from a trip yesterday, and Mom and Scout. My cat was like the first person that I saw when I opened the door because I beat mom home from work by like 20 minutes, and she was like, um, "Who are you more excited to see, me or Scout?" I was like, "Obviously, Scout. Like, I saw you last week. I haven't <laughs> seen my baby in a week. I'm unwell." <laughs> <laughs> but she's, like, and like, truly, like I missed her so. Like, I've been away from my mom, yeah. and I live at home, and I know, you know. But miss, I when I'm away from Scout, I can't face. I can't tell her how much I miss her. I can't, you know, my, my FaceTime. But like, it's real. I, like, my yeah. friends get it but they do kind of laugh, like not in a mean way, but they're like, I'm like my baby, but I'm not joking. She's turning Mm -hmm. three next month. This like, she is my like ball of love and happiness. Like it's just, it's not a joke. No. And what she symbolizes when we moved and all that stuff. Yeah. right. right. So we love your section on in the book. We keep talking about the book and you too can read it on Mm -hmm. May 17th, but we'll talk about that later. Um, Mm -hmm. on a grief day off, GDO. Yeah. G-D-O. Which, GDO. which is great. Make it a
1: thing. Uh, make it a thing. G-D-O. <laughs>
0: GDO. Yeah. 100%. And so under the eat section, we love talking about food. You suggested having your favorite childhood cereal. And we always ask our guests, what is their favorite breakfast cereal? So please enlighten us.
1: Oh my God. You're going to think I'm so lame. I'm, I can't believe I'm going to share this in public. We're not. Uh, all. all right. It's grape nuts. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it has a nice crunch. That's my boyfriend's favorite. Okay.
0: I can't judge you cause I can't judge him for it.
1: Crunch. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's you. so crunchy. And so I'm not, I'm not a big, so I'm not a sweet person. Like I don't, I'm, I don't like sweets. but if we're really going into it. So I didn't really have like sugar cereal growing up. Um, it just wasn't my thing, you know? Uh, but I would say that like, Yeah, if we're going to go, like, if I had to choose my top three, let's go top three. Grape nuts. Um, If I'm really, like, I haven't done this in years, but now talking about it, I legitimately want to go downstairs and buy a box of this. Golden grams. Yeah. I love golden grams. I'm sorry. I just, they're so good. They're so good. um, they're so good. Golden Grahams, Grape Nuts, and uh, you know, I know it's like, it's it's the OG, but Rice Krispies. I mean, I'm sorry, I, I really love, love them.
2: I love a Rice Krispie. <laughs> I love snap, crackle, and pop, and pop.
1: I was okay, I was in
0: Mexico on vacation, and what I had for breakfast was chocolate, Cocoa Krispies. And I could have had like anything, like anything at this breakfast, and I had Cocoa Krispies.
1: Yeah, I mean- as <laughs> But, but should, they evoke because... such
2: childhood memories, right?
1: Exactly. They've childhood memories. Exactly. I mean, that's, and that's like, you know, whenever I am feeling like, that's the whole thing. I talk about grief day off, like, and it's really just like a push for like advocating for your mental health and Mm -hmm. Hey, this is mental health awareness month. So it's good to talk about this stuff. You know? And so when I talk about grief day off, I'm encouraging people to like check in with themselves and like, really take a grief day off sometimes. Sometimes you really need to feel griefy, you know? So like eat the cocoa puffs if that's the comfort thing to you. Eat the rice krispies. eat the matzo soup, or the ramen, if it reminds you of your mom and your grandma or whatever, you know, if it brings you back to time where you felt safe and felt like everything was okay, you know, do whatever you need to do. Um, I have a really good friend who's a trauma therapist and she always says that sometimes self-care looks like getting the bacon cheeseburger. And like, I really love that you said bet. that, you know? Yes, it's because true. Because sometimes it does. Like you don't have to like always like meditate on a hill. <laughs> to be taking care of yourself. Oh, Sometimes totally. it's like primal screaming or looking really pissed off or like watching, you know, um, what do I want to watch tonight? Oh, I already finished the whole Julia. We
2: episode. haven't started it yet. Yeah. That's our next thing. It's our next thing. Did you watch good. Bridgerton
1: season two? Duh. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <Like> <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Sorry. I have, nothing, I have nothing that's like not traumatizing left to watch. Um, <laughs> maybe if you have some... Some good. I mean, I I got through Severance because that's a very grief show. So, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, there is. Watched Ted Lasso. Can I recommend? Right? Yes, okay. I've watched. I have watched Ted Lasso. Um, can I recommend one episode to people who? I, I the best recent episode on TV about grief that I've seen. Yes. Tell us. Very counterintuitive. It's um, Human Resources, which is an animated show that is. Ex- exceedingly body on Netflix mm-hmm. it is so funny it's animated I mean it literally like every fourth word is like fuck or like a word that begins with c which I won't say especially because with but... the news cycle and like I just need to show <laughs> solitary to women here um but it's an animated show and they have this amazing episode on grief and I believe it's episode nine of their season and everybody should watch it. And the character is called Keith from grief and he's played by Henry Winkler. Of oh my God. Oh, the I just and, read an
2: article about him.
1: Like an interview. And, oh, so the good, Life. right? Yes. So good. So I'm not going to give it away, but I will say that this episode, it's hilarious. It's, it's, it's body. it's <laughs> disgusting. And it gets grief so right that I don't, even under, I don't even understand what they were smoking when they wrote this, but it's perfect. It's so Human perfect. Human
0: Resources, episode nine on Netflix.
1: Human Resources, yeah. Thank you. Well, well You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Well,
0: this has been such a joy. I'm so glad this is our first episode of Mental Health Awareness Month. Um, you can buy Modern Loss anywhere you get books starting May 17th. That's less than two weeks away. The Modern Loss Handbook. The Modern Loss Handbook, excuse me. It is quite a handbook. I have <laughs> to say it's nice and hefty, but it's not like you you take it places with you and it's not going to like weigh down your bag. Like I think everyone should own this book, not exaggerating, Mm -hmm. I'm grieving or not, like you will learn something and it will be useful to you. And this is kind of what I say to people, like my friends who aren't in therapy. I'm like, but you don't want to look for a therapist when you're in a crisis. Like you need to have someone there for you because something is going to happen and you need someone. And I feel like this
1: book is exactly, exactly. I, and there's a whole section about therapy where I say like, you know, it's, it's better to take care of yourself before you're in crisis 100%. than like the moment of crisis, you know, like yeah. you have to view things like therapy and like, you know, caring for your mind and your body is kind of maintenance things so that when the shit hits the fan, which inevitably will, you'll be maybe in a position to kind of deal with it from with a little bit more resilience and wherewithal and mechanisms than you might have had ordinarily.
0: I agree. So tell us where people can find you other than in your new book.
1: Uh, Well, I am on the internet at Rebecca Sofer with two Fs um, and also at Modern Loss. So we have a really lively Uh, Instagram account, and of course, on Facebook and Twitter, um, modernloss.com is the online publication, which has upwards of a 1000 original pieces that are narrowly focused around one aspect of grief and loss, you will find, I dare you to find (laughs) something there that you will not find. Like, I mean, like, Mm -hmm. there's everything there. We have advice columns, we have practical guides, um, and I'm really proud of it. And these are by so many other people other than than myself and my my co-founder of the Modern Loss site, Gabby Berkner. Um, And then also uh, I run a newsletter on Substack, the Modern Loss newsletter, which is modernloss.substack.com, which is kind of a monthly deep dive um, conversation with a notable figure about loss and grief and we get really into it. And I think it's really awesome and funny and moving and thought-provoking. And you can subscribe to a a paid level as well, which enables you to, access our virtual sessions and our peer-to-peer support group. And there's a lot going on with modern loss, you know. <laughs>
0: <Is> <laughs> and- the more as the more there is, the better, I think in this, in this-
1: yeah. yeah. And it's all free, except for that paid subscriber level, um, which really is just enables us to give all of our content out for free for all. It- it's all accessible to everybody around the world. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much for being here. We are so excited to for everyone to get your book. We'll share you know the links and everything the day it comes out. But Modern Loss Handbook out May 17th. Follow Rebecca on Instagram at Modern Loss. Thank you so much for being here. It's late. You've had a crazy day of interviews, but we really appreciate it. Thanks, Rebecca. No,
1: thanks so much. This is the best.